Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you're with us or you are with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. Buck Sexton with America Now. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. The future of talk radio. Buck Sexton. An absolutely horrific scene from Las Vegas, what some are calling now the Mandalay Massacre from the Mandalay Bay Casino, where somebody uh, decided that they would go on a mass murder spree for reasons that no one can even begin to fathom so far. have absolutely no idea why this evil psychopath killed 58 people, injured over 500, and the death toll may, in fact, rise. I was just in Las Vegas over the weekend. I left on Saturday. This uh, terrible mass shooting occurred Sunday night. A day later, I am speechless when I see and hear the accounts of some of the survivors of this. Uh, what they went through would be uh, is just horrific beyond words. It is appalling, and now we are forced to look at this and ask questions about how and why and what could have been done to stop it. Why did a a deranged maniac who was a retired accountant? Um, a, a, a Stephen Paddock, 64 years old. Um, he was a known gambler, a, a, a retired accountant, a guy who lived in Mesquite uh, and was just somebody that never got up on police radar, was had no criminal history. What could force or bring what could bring an individual like this? Uh, what could bring an individual to do something so terrible? Um, and, and we have no real answers right now. We have no sense of why anyone would do such a thing. Open fire on a country uh, music festival. Uh, killed so many people. Ruined so many lives. Uh, and it, it's just, there's no... Discussion to be had right now that feels in any way like it's putting pieces back together. It's just not possible to come away from a situation like this to see what happened uh, in Las Vegas and feel like there's much of a of a of a takeaway. There's much that we can um, say we would do to stop this in the future. This level of evil, this uh, kind of wanton cruelty, 
has always existed, but in our modern era where people are able to broadcast in real time these atrocities, um, it brings us that much closer into it. That's why we started the show by playing audio. What we know so far is that this uh, Stephen Paddock was able to procure dozens of firearms. So far, we believe uh, legally. We know that it is possible for him to have modified some of the rifles that were in his possession to make them fire in a method that is similar to fully automatic. Uh, there were two two three caliber rifles and three oh eight caliber rifles found in the suite at the Mandalay Bay that he used as a a sniper position or a, a sniper nest, if you will, against all of these people who had gathered nearby in an open air concert. Uh, so he was at an elevated firing position and just was slaughtering people. Police response was quick. By the time they got to Paddock, uh, he had already executed himself. So there will be no trial. And uh, I think that as we find out more from the investigation, there won't be all that much in terms of clues. This is a case that so far is confusing as well as horrific. These aren't the usual uh, categories that we would see. These aren't the uh, the storylines that we're used to when people delve into the background of a mass shooter like this. No history of mental illness that we're aware of. Um, so this so far not similar in terms of the precursor, in terms of the backstory to uh, the Aurora, the Aurora, Illinois movie theater shooter who went into a screening of the movie of a Batman movie. And as you know, shot dozens of people. Uh, he was a deranged lunatic and somehow managed to slip through the cracks of the psychiatric community that was uh, aware. At least one person was aware that he was dangerous, um, but he got through from what we know about Stephen Paddock so far. No criminal history. Licensed pilot. Uh, owned a $400,000 home in a Nevada retirement community. And no one has any idea yet about what um, what the motivation was here other than just to kill, just to murder. Even in the warped, distorted, and evil world of, of jihadists um, and of you know, deranged lunatics... You understand their target selection because it fits into their twisted and evil narrative. But you know that they're just trying to wage war against the West. And so casualties becomes a means of trying to bring down the West. That doesn't seem to apply here. We don't have uh, many of the usual indicators that pop up when you have an individual like this and engaged in in a mass shooting. So I don't think that the security discussion that's going to happen right now is uh, going to bring us any sense of we could stop this in the future. If he modified weapons that he had, well, what are we going to do? It's not that hard to modify some of the weapons. People are saying that he was firing on fully automatic, not yet clear what that uh, what that entails in terms of his purchasing history for firearms, but 
Fully automatic weapons have been illegal, as many of my uh, conservative media colleagues have been pointing out all day. They've been illegal with very limited exceptions uh, for going on a century now. I mean, close to it. Since 1934, I believe, it's been very difficult, incredibly expensive and rigorous background checks for anyone who wants to have a fully automatic weapon. And there's a ban on the sale of new uh, fully automatic weapons after um, uh, 19, uh, a date in the 1980s. I forget what it is off the top of my head, but previously manufactured automatic weapons uh, can still be sold under very, very limited and highly scrutinized circumstances they're going to make it a on the left they're going to make this a gun control discussion hillary clinton has already tried in fact she weighed in on twitter earlier today in order to uh, talk about silencers so immediately i mean within hours just the most blatant politicization of a horrific tragedy imaginable from uh, hillary clinton uh, just making this about the explicitly said the NRA. I mean, j- this is f- find a way to score cheap political points. Stand uh, right in front of you know TV monitors with the images and and the terrible audio of what happened there, and have Hillary Clinton just make the case to the American people about how you know this is the fault of the NRA. This is the fault of the Second Amendment. Uh, that's a, a debate that we will have once again. And while in the end, I think. Nothing will come of it in terms of legislation. It's mostly now the anti-gun debate, the anti-gun lobby that unleashes itself every time there's one of the there's any mass shooting incident. Uh, It's really about just expressing how much they disdain people on the right. That opposition to firearms and criticism of the Second Amendment is largely driven by antipathy. It's driven by hatred of people who support the Second Amendment. So this is a, an exercise in virtue signaling. We're the good people who don't like guns. The bad people like guns. It's an ignorant, dumb thing to believe and to certainly to say out loud, but plenty of people will. Um, so that you can expect that this will turn into a gun control debate for at least a few days and probably for a few weeks now, especially as we get more details on uh, the origin of the firearms that he that this shooter had and, and where you know, where Paddock got them and what he did, if anything, to modify them. And uh, we'll get into some of that. Also, whether or not this is terrorism, that discussion is underway. I'll give you my uh, take on that. Uh, but first, Donald Trump spoke and spoke very well on this issue uh, earlier today. Here's what he had to say. He brutally murdered more than 50 people and wounded hundreds more. It was an act of pure evil. He also said that we cannot fathom uh, the loss that families are feeling right now. Hundreds of our fellow citizens are now mourning the sudden loss of a loved one, a parent, a child, a brother or sister. We cannot fathom their pain. We cannot imagine their loss it's true um there is nothing there is nothing that uh could prepare any human being ever for an incident like this to be involved in it to be affected by it to have lost a loved one uh because of it uh, there 
is a sense of unity and coming together in the aftermath of a tragedy like this that I think should be uh, elevated. And, and, you know, the lines of people who wish to give blood, there have been many requests by officials in Las Vegas for blood. They need it. A lot of people in the hospital struggling, trying to trying to pull through, trying to uh, make it through. And you also um, have the stories, the firsthand accounts of individuals who shielded others, friends, loved ones, family members, even strangers in some cases, shielded others with their bodies, uh, trying to stop the rain of bullets from uh, taking uh, even more lives uh, on that. Uh, on that open ground that was the site of a concert. People just trying to, people just trying to enjoy their Sunday night together and listen to some music. Uh, it, it doesn't get more evil than this, folks. It really doesn't. And I know you know that. And we need to uh, come together, as the president said. In moments of tragedy and horror, America comes together as one. Our unity cannot be shattered by evil. Our bonds cannot be broken by violence. And though we feel such great anger at the senseless murder of our fellow citizens, it is our love that defines us today. In times such as these, I know we are searching for some kind of meaning in the chaos, some kind of light in the darkness. The answers do not come easy. We pray for the entire nation to find unity and peace. And we pray for the day when evil is banished and the innocent are safe from hatred and from fear. We pray for the day when evil is banished. That's, uh, that's the, the biggest single reaction that I have to this because a lot of people will give you commentary and a lot of uh, their analysis on this that will be uh, tainted with their political objectives or with their own uh, biases against certain rights, certain people, certain organizations. This is really about the evil that exists and our need to come together um, and focus on what is good in each other and, and be unified in the face of this. I will have more thoughts for you on this, including let's talk about the possible terrorism angle, meaning is this terrorism and also why we're there. I do not believe that this was in any way connected to, nor did I earlier in the day, uh, connected to the Islamic State, inspired by the Islamic State. I've never thought that that was the case uh, from the initial moments here. I want to tell you why that is and what's different about this. And in the next, uh, this hour we're going to spend on Las Vegas. Next hour I'll talk to you a bit about the independence a referendum in Catalonia and some of the very uh, politically uh, fractious days ahead, I think, for Europe and, and who knows, um, and the Middle East as well. So we won't spend more really than an hour or so talking about Las Vegas today. And uh, in the third hour, I'll try to take a breather and lighten things up a bit with all of us because I know we're going to need it. Welcome back, team. Buck Sexton here with you. On what is a tough day for the country, a tough day for America and for uh, humanity, uh, there were some initial reports uh, from the Associated Press about how AMAC, which is the Islamic State's uh, news agency, so to speak, it's really just a, a place uh, where they post online and, 
and it's uh, it's a propaganda, a digital propaganda arm of the Islamic State, claimed responsibility, said that this was a soldier of the caliphate. Some of the usual uh, language that you would expect from the Islamic State after someone had acted on, if not their orders, in response to their call, their exhortation for people around the world who want to be soldiers of the caliphate to just engage in a terror attack um, on ISIS's behalf. But Amak has been making stuff up in recent months. Um, and when you look at the attack that they claimed in uh, Manila in the Philippines, no ISIS connection. A- Amak, the ISIS news network, just said that this was ISIS and uh, said that that was ISIS and they were incorrect. They also claimed recently to have put a bomb, I believe, in uh, Charles de Gaulle Airport in France. And that turned out to be untrue. So you have two pretty major false claims from Amok in recent months. And immediately when I saw the claim that was, was accurately reported, the claim was accurately reported, uh, that this had any tie to ISIS, I said, no, this is, I think this is, and this is a really a, a separate discussion, but this is emblematic of the deteriorating uh, situation of the Islamic State in that they are so desperate for the attention necessary to have adherents still flock to their banner and to seem a, a relevant jihadist movement in the uh, global perception of these things that they may now be claiming some attacks that have nothing to do with them. Uh, they, there, there was another attack, which I'll be talking to you later, in, in Marseille, over the weekend in France, where a woman was killed, another was stabbed, uh, which does seem to be an ISIS-inspired terror attack. But uh, Amok saying that this uh, this shooter in Las Vegas, Stephen Paddock, was one of theirs. I just don't I don't buy it. I read his profile. There's nothing here. Everyone who knew him, his brother, uh, his he has a, a female companion that I know everyone is is also going to be asking questions of in the days days ahead and. There's just nothing here that that in any way says jihadist. So I think Amok is claiming something that they just want attention uh, for. And this is not ISIS. This is not jihadism. Unless I see some just incredibly unlikely bit of evidence emerge, which I think is a one in 10,000 now. Uh, This wasn't jihadism. So we can be clear on that. We'll be back after the break with more. Stay with me. We thought it was fireworks and then it just didn't stop. And I'm like, Debbie, that's not fireworks. And then people started running, and we asked what was going on, and they said it was a shooter, and and then we realized it was. It sounded like machine guns. It sounded like more than one machine gun, and it just didn't stop, like, 30 minutes. What'd you guys do? We were hiding in a beer truck behind our booth and in a Budweiser truck for about 30 minutes. There you have eyewitness... Uh, testimony from the horrific mass shooting incident from uh, Sunday in Las Vegas, where a shooter uh, got in ele- into an elevated firing position at the Mandalay Bay Hotel and w- killed. I'm trying to see the, the, the latest. We have an update here. 527 injured and 59 dead. The police have also recovered 18 Uh, additional firearms, explosives, and thousands of rounds of ammunition from the shooter's home and some unspecified electronic devices. You have uh, Sheriff Lombardo, who has been giving an update 
uh, on this situation. Uh, we, we know that um, motive is going to be a, a major part of the investigation, and and also th- this is just people want to understand how could anyone have done this, and uh, the motive right now is I, I've never been so at a, at a loss for describing what the motive could be uh, for a horrific act like this. It just, if he had had a history of mental illness, which we may still find out, you know, this oftentimes people hide this from, from even close friends and family members. Uh, Maybe he was delusional, deranged and dangerous uh, before this event, uh, before all this happened, we will have to see. Um, but in the meantime, all we have to go on is what those around him say. We we know that uh, he took his own life. We believe the individual uh, killed himself prior to our entry. How many weapons was he found with? Uh, we are um, still going through the uh, search warrant actively at this time, um, but it's in excess of 10 rifles. 18 is what I've seen so far, and... Uh, although those, I think it might be 18 from the home, from the home in addition to, pardon me, in addition to. So 10 rifles in the room, 18 additional firearms at one of his homes. Um, Paddock had several, had several homes, and I believe, and we might be getting an update from a reporter on the ground in the uh, Las Vegas area. I believe there may be another raid of a, another property owned by this shooter forthcoming. Uh, I think that might be happening shortly uh, while we are on air. I'll have updates for you as we can and as we go along. But why? People want to know why, understandably. And it won't bring anyone back. It won't heal the wounds. But we we have a a need to understand how this kind of uh, evil can occur, how anyone could choose this uh, level of, of depravity and Here's what the shooter's brother said earlier today. He called his mother. They don't know. They have no ideas here. At this stage, usually in an investigation like this um, and with all of the press attention, someone would come forward if there were some of the signs you look for, either of uh, the homicidal maniac variety or of the uh, jihadist or terrorist uh, side of the equation. Now, people are saying this is terrorism. No, not necessarily. Terrorism is violence for psychological impact for political ends. That is the the classic definition of terrorism. Terrorism is not just something that is is terrible and evil. And uh, so the terminology here will vary, I think, based upon what we find out about the the motive. But just as a a mass shooting that is a gang war, for example, is not terrorism, even though a a bunch of people may have been killed in it. This is the biggest shooting in U.S. history. I mean, this is beyond anything that we've seen before. But the motivation matters as to how we classify it, how we discuss it. Um, And it's just there's nothing so far. 
that he wasn't even known to uh, be a, a, a firearms guy, somebody knowledgeable about weaponry, according to his family. And the modifications that he made to these rifles, did he do them himself? Did he, fi- did he find out how to do it online? I know there are videos online that can show you how to do this. Each act, assuming that he did modify the rifles, and that seems to be the, uh, the case based on the reporting we've seen right now, uh, they said that he had uh, 223, so AR, AR-15 uh, style rifles and also uh, some 308s. So um, these are semi, those are, as you all know, listening, those are calibers that can go in semi-automatic rifles. And then those rifles could be modified uh, so that they have a, a full auto uh, capacity. It's illegal to do so. You get 10 years for each count, in fe- 10 years in federal prison. So there will be a lot of, assuming that this is true, that this reporting so far is accurate, there will be um, many who say that we need to, first of all, people all day have been saying that automatic ri- automatic weapons need to be banned, and, and they effectively are banned. Uh, to, to ban them even more would mean, would mean what exactly? Um, you can get to, sent to prison for a long time, Right now, if you have an automatic weapon, then you're not supposed to. And to get one requires rigorous background checks and a lot of and it's expensive. Um, purchasing a legal, fully automatic weapon and going through that whole process is expensive, difficult and uh, very. I think there have been three automatic weapons that are legally owned, that were legally owned, used in crimes in the last century or so. Or since 1934, since the 1934 uh, Federal Firearms Act. But three that we know of. So illegal automatic weapons, sure, that happens. But now you're already talking about lawbreaking. So you can add more laws. You can make even stiffer penalties. But the penalties are already quite stiff. And if somebody is a psychopathic murderer, they're not going to care all that much about the statutory enhancement of... What, what I mean, another five years and per count. I mean, what are they going to do? Um, that wouldn't have stopped this individual. Uh, if you have any thoughts on this out there listening, everyone, I, I. Oftentimes I come here on the show and because I have a background in counterterrorism, because I worked at the NYPD on terrorism issues, those cases I know inside and out. I know the indicators. I know our responses. I know. Um, how the investigation is likely to play out, what the motivations are, and what the ideological divides are on on all sides about, well, what causes jihadism? Is it really from within the Islamic community? In this, because this is not jihadism and has nothing to do with any of that, uh, and it's not even along the lines of what we would see in a lone wolf, deranged uh, shooter situation in terms of the backstory now, right? Um I I don't have the uh, analysis and the insights that I usually can bring to bear in a circumstance like this just because this doesn't fit. This is outside what is uh, expected for circumstances, horrific circumstances like this where there's a mass shooting. And uh, so I, if you have any thoughts, ideas, analysis of your own, by all means, um, 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. Um, I, one, one more thing before we have a couple of calls here, which I do want to get to. Uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders took a, uh, gave a press conference today, took questions on this. And uh, here's what she, here's one moment that I wanted to share with you all. 
Sadly, multiple police officers, both on duty and off duty, were among those killed or injured. But what these people did for each other says far more about who we are as Americans than the cowardly acts of a killer ever could. The Gospel of John reminds us that there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for a friend. The memory of those who displayed the ultimate expression of love in the midst of an unimaginable act of hate will never fade. Their examples will serve as an eternal reminder that the American spirit cannot and will not ever be broken. In the days ahead, we will grieve as a nation, we will honor the memory of those lost as a nation, and we will come together, united as one nation, under God and indivisible. Goes without saying that it takes a lot to uh, get a uh, White House press secretary as uh, politically seasoned and who's been through as much um, as uh, Sarah Sanders. Uh, it takes a lot to get her to tear up on on air. And this more than meets that threshold. This is as bad as this is as bad as bad gets. Everyone, um, but we cannot lose sight of uh, of the heroism of first responders, police, and also just everyday, everyday Americans, everyday folks who uh, did what they could to save those around them. It's one of the, o- one of the only things we can take from this that, that gives us a sense of, of hope and helps propel us all forward. Josh in North Carolina on the iHeart app. Josh, good of you to call in. What's on your mind? Hey, Buck. Shields High, can you hear me? Shields High, yes, sir. Hey, uh, you covered a lot of ground between the time I called and the time I got on the air, but um, about the the shooter in, in Las Vegas, there's a lot of questions I have, and you've covered some ground that points to the fact that he's not ISIS, and you're probably right. Even though ISIS claimed him, I don't. it doesn't look that way, but the, his... Uh, there's a person of interest that was found in the Philippines that was supposed to be his roommate, or they usually in the news called him, called her his companion. Uh, so she was found in the Philippines, and you know there's uh, generations of Islamists in the Philippines, and ISIS is trying to get a toehold there. Also, where did this dude get? If, if his brother is right, where did he get his? Where did he get his proficiency from? It seems a little bit weird how proficient he became so quickly so i just kind of i I agree with you on that it just it doesn't it doesn't add up josh um there's something we're missing something with regard to the the proficiency the um, i mean you know somebody buys this many firearms and and spends this much time with weaponry you'd think his brother would have some inclination right I i think that's fair to say and for him to say oh no i didn't even know that he had any interest in firearms or guns well Really? I mean, it's just and your, your point about the about ISIS in the Philippines, ISIS is in a lot of places. And actually, the ISIS franchise in the Philippines is quite small overall and quite small as a percentage of the population. So but the Moros have been there for a long time. Uh, right? I'm, I've talked a lot about about the Moros, in fact, on this show, too. But that's the Moro Islamic Liberation Front is a terrorist group in southern Philippines. But uh, and there's Abu Sayyaf there as well. But th- that's I think that's a stretch right now. We have no evidence to suggest that. Uh, other, anything other than he had a he, basically this guy had a girlfriend who was Filipino is all we know and a vast majority right. of of folks in the Philippines never mind aren't terrorists are, are actually uh, Christian or Catholic so but I, I'm but Josh I'll I'm, look we don't have we can't discount things because we don't know yet until we know we have to listen to uh, all 
the uh, possibilities that are out there and, and sift through it. So thank you for calling in. Yes, Team, sir. we're going to have an update. Shields high, Josh. We're going to have an update from a reporter um, on the ground in Vegas here in just a minute, so stay with me for that. We're talking about the uh, horrific mass shooting in Las Vegas over the weekend, and uh, to bring us some ground truth to update us on where the investigation and law enforcement efforts stand right now, we have Jason Campadonia on the line. He is the uh, NBC West Coast correspondent. Uh, Jason, thank you for making the time. I know you're very busy today. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, please tell us what's going on right now. I'm, I'm hearing and, and seeing reports of another uh, venue, another home that belonged to the shooter paddock that is about to be or just has been raided by SWAT. What can you tell us? That is absolutely correct. Apparently, he's got a couple of homes, uh, and he's made some money with some real estate deals. According to his brother, he's a millionaire. The SWAT team was staged out of his house about an hour ago. Uh, news crews are you know, swarming to get there. Uh, they raided his house in Mesquite earlier today, and they weren't nice about it. They went in, they busted the garage door and started yanking things out. In that home, they found 18 more guns. They found some explosive devices and thousands of rounds of ammunition. So it's, uh, it's completely unclear what we're going to find in the home, which is in northern Nevada in a more desolate area than Mesquite is. What are law enforcement sources saying about the, the status of uh, d- trying to discern the, the motive here, if anything? Do they have any indicator? Are they going through the social media profiles? or What can you tell us? So the Clark County Sheriff just held a press conference within the last hour, and he actually told the media to back off. said, you guys are way ahead of us in, as far as the investigation. You can speculate all you want, but I'm not going to talk about motive just yet. They've raided the home, like we had said, and pulled out electronics and files and everything else. They're trying to get into the mind of this guy because he doesn't really have any friends. Nobody is stepping up and saying, hey, this was a good guy or this was a guy who I thought was going to go off. His brother was absolutely no help this morning who lives in Florida. He said that, you know, hey, my brother's a regular guy who likes to eat burritos. That doesn't help the investigation at all. So trying to get into the mind of this guy is going to be of the forefront of the investigation, but that's going to take some time. Clark County Sheriff's Office says that the investigation is going to be methodical. We're speaking to Jason Campadonia, who is the NBC West Coast correspondent. He's been covering the Vegas shooting since the very beginning. Uh, Jason, uh, what can you tell us about the status of the firearms that have been recovered so far? Uh, I've seen reports that they believe that they were modified so they could fire on fully automatic. Were they all purchased legally? Do we know yet? I know ATF is running a an accelerated trace on them. The guns that were found inside the room, and there's been reports that went from 10-plus to 20-plus, then back down to 15. So those guns in the room were purchased legally, as far as we know right now. And what the reports are that the 223 or a 308, which are high-powered hunting rifles, had been modified. And those are things that you can buy online or things that you can make yourself if you're good with, like, a metal laid. You can buy these conversion kits for fairly cheap online, not legally, but you can find them. And if you know a small amount of gunsmithing, you're able to convert those firearms fairly easily. So that's what they're saying, that they had the semi-automatic hunting rifles, the 223, the 308. He had the conversion kit on them to make them fully automatic. And if you listen to the tape and you slow the tape down, when Jason Aldean is on stage and he's getting ready to you sing one of his biggest songs, 
you slow the tape down. When the guns start start happening, there's over a hundred shots in about thirty seconds. That's how fast those bullets are coming out of there. All right. Well, Jason, we appreciate you joining us to update us on the latest with the uh, the shooting out there in Las Vegas. Jason Cappadonia, who is NBC's West Coast correspondent. Uh, Jason, thank you so much. Thank you. Team, we are going to have more on this uh, shooting in Las Vegas as well as um, a bunch of other topics we'll move, to, move into in the second hour. So stay with me. All right, team, welcome back to the Freedom Hunt. We've been discussing the shooting in Las Vegas, and I, I wanted to add in here because I'm sure there'll be a, a lot of follow-on that we're going to do together on this this week. I wanted to add in some, some pieces of the puzzle that... Uh, I, I don't know where they fit in, and I don't know if they fit into anything really, but there are some other uh, uh, other data points that are out there. Uh, there are some other uh, backstory to this that uh, we should be aware of, at least, as we try to figure out why this guy did this. And I, I don't believe that there's a uh, a lesson learned with how we could stop this in the future, really though this will become even more political in the days ahead with the calls for gun control. And uh, already I'm seeing a lot of stories uh, from the leftist sites about, look at how great Australia is. They ban guns. We need to ban all guns. That's a story that's out from the New Republic now, or it's a piece out from New Republic. This is, this is going to be the moment they really push for uh, gun control. I don't think it'll go anywhere, but we will have to revisit the same discussions we've had, the same discussion we've had after Sandy Hook, the same discussion we had after the uh, Pulse nightclub shooting when there were these calls for uh, gun control and many other times as well. Um, after the shooting in the theater at Aurora, in Aurora I'm not Aurora, um, Aurora, Colorado. Uh, so a few things, though. One is that Paddock's father was a bank robber with a history of violence who, I mean, was a, was a real career criminal. And was on the FBI's most wanted list back in the '60s, um, but the shooter had no no criminal background whatsoever, other than uh, traffic citations. So th- these are data points. I don't know if they're meaningful, but they are worth a little attention as we try to piece all of this together. So he had a father who was a, a career criminal, broke out of prison, in fact, after serving a lengthy sentence. Uh, and was uh, initially got decades in prison for uh, for bank robbery, FBI most wanted. So, you know, the, people might might take this into discussion of was there something in this guy's background, you know, with his father, I, you know, abuse. I don't know. I don't know. I just that seems given what's happened here, the fact that his father was a career criminal with with uh, that served decades for a violent crime. Um, I think, or sentenced to decades. I don't think he served decades. Uh, that's noteworthy. Uh, there was also this uh, this soundbite from earlier today, where a woman who was who, who was at the Route 91 music event, which was the event that was fired on by Paddock from the Mandalay Bay. Mandalay Bay is a is a huge hotel. Those of you who haven't been to Vegas, and he was on the 32nd floor with a complete clear line of sight complete uh clear firing lines lines of fire uh into what is a a gathering ground kind of like a parade ground where they had set up this outdoor concert uh, but a woman earlier today was 
on TV and, and made the following. Now, we, we tried to get more information on this. We tried to verify this. And I know there's a lot of conspiracy stuff out there right now. You've just got to separate the signal from the noise with this, right? That's conspiracies, especially in a moment like now, are not helpful and they are irresponsible. In fact, they can be really, really hurtful, uh, given the grieving that's going on by the families and, and by the whole nation. I mean, we have uh, flags at half staff. We have a nation in mourning. Uh, but here's what was said. I, I, I'm playing it for you without without knowing that it, it is meaningful, but it certainly grabbed my attention. Uh, I, I don't know if this is... I, but I can't explain this. I can't make this uh, go unless some woman thought she was just going to lie to NBC News or that she was on an NBC affiliate about what happened, which strikes me as incredibly improbable. Well, why would somebody say the following then if this wasn't said to them? And if this was said to them, are we to think that was a coincidence? Let me play it and then this will this will make uh, a little bit more sense. We actually weren't there whenever the shooting had occurred. We had already left about maybe 10, 15 minutes before that. But we just barely made it back into our room whenever it started. And, I mean, were you thinking, oh, my gosh, this, this woman told us that before before we left? Yeah, I thought it had a positive correlation to it. Like, obviously, she was telling us that in either to tell us to warn us or to tell us that we were all going to die and she was part of it. So Okay, so uh, they want the description of this woman. Describe to me what this woman looked like. Her and her boyfriend were both Hispanic. They were probably about shorter five-footers, probably about five, 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 six. Um, okay, so like I, I, you know, this this is unver- it's unverified. That was aired on, on an NBC affiliate. This this woman says that another woman told her and her friends at the venue before the shooting started, you're all going to die tonight. Now, is it there? There are two possibilities that make this soundbite utterly and completely meaningless. Uh, one is that uh, the person telling the uh, reporter this is just for whatever reason lying, which would be under the circumstances beyond bizarre, but it's possible. And the other and perhaps I would I would uh, I would wager the more likely scenario is that this woman said this and, uh, you know, said you're all going to die, but it hadn't didn't was unaware of what was happening or, you know, it was unrelated. And it was just a, uh, a completely bizarre coincidence. I, I don't know, but this isn't, uh, you know, you usually don't have people claim to be eyewitnesses in, in things like this and, and going on TV and. Um, and making things up. And if it was a coincidence, I just wanted to share with you that this woman said this to other women randomly before a mass shooting. I mean, that's I, I don't I don't know what to make of it other than it struck me. I'm sharing some things now with you that just in my reading about all these events throughout the course of the day stuck out in my mind. I, and and I, I can't say that I have been able to synthesize this into a, I, I don't have a motive, I don't have a, um, I, I don't know where this all goes in terms of, you know, how, how this attack was put together. Are, are some people lying? Is his family lying about him not being a gun guy? Is his family so distraught that they, you know, people that are in extreme situations um, of public scrutiny, like his immediate family, may respond uh, very 
strangely, very poorly, may lie just because they don't, you know, they don't want their family to come under even greater scrutiny. Again, I don't know. It's early. It's, that's all very early. And I think that the words um, of the Las Vegas uh, sheriff, as told to us by our uh, reporter who's down there on the ground in Las Vegas, that ever needs to slow it down a little bit. That is, under these circumstances, I think, very sound advice. We do not have a guy running around yelling Allahu Akbar as he shoots uh, innocent by, bystanders and, and stabs people with a knife. And, and, you know, we find out within 10 minutes of looking at his computer, law enforcement finds out that, you know, he was on like, I, I am a jihadist.com 100 times in the last five days, right? We, we don't have that. We don't have, oh, yeah, he was a weird guy muttering to himself in the corner, talking about getting even and, you know, dropped off the grid for a while. We think he might have been in a psychiatric hospital for the criminally insane for a little bit. I mean, you know, we don't have any of that. We've got a guy who, by all accounts, is pretty well off, seemed to be, from outside appearance appearances, normal, and went through tremendous and went to tremendous lengths to kill as many innocent people as possible for no discernible reason, even in the realm of the psychotic uh, your jihadist or the, the lone wolf gunman. And all. This doesn't add up. It just doesn't. It doesn't add up yet. So it's uh, it's very it's frustrating to be looking at all these pieces and not to have a more clear uh, picture of what this was. Because, look, it's it's scary. I wasn't there, but I very well could have been. I, I had uh, I had just been in Vegas over the weekend and. You know, this could have been any of us, any of you listening anywhere, you know, at a concert. Uh, it, it, that, it, it shakes us all up. You know, one other thing, I'm seeing a little bit of the analysis of um, how. Maybe this was a, a political targeting. We've been told that the shooter, Paddock, was not political. But again, that's by his family members. Are they just saying whatever they think they should say under the circumstances because they just can't handle the scrutiny? And the, I, I don't know. You know, maybe they feel like they should have said something and this is their way of covering. I don't know. We just a lot of a lot of unanswered there. Um, but you've got people that are surmising i think and and looking at this as a possible uh possibly politically motivated which would make it terrorism i'm not saying it's not terrorism I'm just saying we don't know that it's terrorism yet because there's no obvious motive um although you had a senior cnn reporter uh offer up the following earlier today something else i think to uh, keep in mind a lot of these country music supporters we're likely Trump supporters, and this is something that, of course, is uh, hitting the tapestry of all Americans, and there are going to be victims from across the country here. I mean, this was in Las Vegas. Uh, the, yeah, there are country music supporters who are Trump supporters. There are country music, you know, the, the, I mean, a lot of country music supporters who are leftists. I mean, it, so I, I think that's, that's weak analysis. Um, but I will say that the possibility of a political motivation here is still very, very real, which would mean it is terrorism and that... When when a an obvious Bernie Sanders supporting left wing maniac tries to kill a bunch of Republican congressmen on a baseball diamond, we, we know what the motivation is. We get it right. It's clear. This one is not clear. Not yet. Maybe it will be. But not yet. All right. I've got uh, every line here. Lit. I want to take some calls after this break. And then I want to talk to you about because uh, I, I know we, we cannot only 
discuss this issue, although it, it's clearly the most important, most pressing news story in the country right now, really in the world right now. Um, but I, I want to move on to the referendums over the weekend because there will be implications of what happened in Spain and, and what is happening in northern Iraq uh, that I think have an effect on regional stability and, and might even be a, a pretty big problem for us. Depends on how it goes. Um, North Korea and the latest in the Iran deal, I think we will hold off on those until tomorrow when I can spend more time on them. Um, but we will take your calls and then we will move into the secession referendum in Spain. You may be thinking, well, Buck, this is what happens in Spain is not my particular concern. It's not just Spain that has a, a secessionist movement. And Spain is, I think, the EU's fourth largest economy. If it starts to disintegrate, uh, there are other countries that want to follow that may follow suit. And this this is look, I, I don't want to I don't want to exaggerate it in the context of the Middle East with Kurdistan and Iraq. Everybody knows that this is very much the case. Wars are often started over secessionist movements. Insurgencies are often fought over secession groups. Our own civil war was fought over secession. Uh, when a group decides, when a group within the larger group decides that it wants to form its own state, often the only recourse of the state or the recourse that the state chooses, at least, is violence. This is unsettling stuff. Um, all right. But we'll come back with your calls and then we'll get into the uh, referendum vote in Catalonia. We'll be right back. All right, team, we're going to take some calls here about this Las Vegas shooting. Just an, an update, though, a news update for you. Um, it was 16 guns found with the shooter Paddock uh, in the room with him in in his suite at the Mandalay Bay Hotel in Las Vegas and an additional 10 at at least one of his homes and another raid of another home. Sorry, 18 additional at his home. So 16 in the room, 18 at his first home, more guns perhaps at his second property. And I think he has several. Uh, and I was also telling Ty before the, we were talking about, you know, how this went how this happened and, and how could it happen during the break. And many of you who are familiar with farms know that by f- the, the kinds of uh, rounds that he was firing into this crowd of people could go through a couple of people. One round could hit multiple individuals, especially the 308 and uh, rounds could bounce, uh, could skip off the ground too. So just by flooding this field with fire, they were going to be, Countless casualties. I mean, I don't even think he, he, this this wasn't aiming. This was just putting as many rounds into this uh, space that was densely packed with human beings as he possibly could. Oh, man. Oh, it's, it's just it's unbelievable. Um, all right. Uh, Richard in West Virginia on WWVA. Thanks for calling in. Well, when I heard, uh, I thought I had all the answers, but I don't think I have any of them after I heard your guest and different things that they found. They raided another home that he had and maybe two homes. He's a millionaire and all that. Because what I was thinking, I was thinking that Mr. Obvious that I knew it all, but uh, I don't know if he was married before. I don't even know if he was married. I, I don't want to say he had a girlfriend, but I was just thinking that, because uh, they said he was a, I heard somebody today, I don't know who it was, said that he'd been radicalized. Radicalized. But I don't know who said that? But then it just goes like, uh, I just figure, they said he was a gambler. So I just, what I was thinking, I put my hypothesis in there, and I was just thinking that 
who lost all his money gambling. His wife left him, and I didn't even know they had a wife. And his kids disowned him because uh, but he lost everything, and he didn't have anything left. But according to your guest, uh, he still has another home. And with all those rifles that he found, it sure sounds like it. So I'm thinking, 64 years old, you're too old to be a jihadist or something. Yeah, like this that. this guy, this guy's too far outside the. You know, at a certain point, it's like, how, how do I know the TSA doesn't have to pat down a 90-year-old woman who's in a wheelchair? You know, because I know. Uh, how do I know this guy is not a not a jihadist? Be- because you can you can tell. I mean, it, it would be, if he was a jihadist, he was the most stealth, uh, off-the-radar jihadist that, that anyone has ever heard of in the history of radicalization. I mean, this guy would have been uh, way outside of... Um, uh, of all of the parameters you would expect. I mean, to your point about losing, look, he had he had money. So I know you're saying that you've had to change your mind or that your theory isn't standing up to the, the recent reporting. But look, I mean, you know, no one really knows. But Richard, I appreciate you calling in, man. Uh, thank you. Let's take uh, Matt in West Virginia. Matt, thanks for calling. Yes, how you doing, sir? I'm good, sir. Appreciate you. Uh, appreciate your time. What's on your mind? Uh, I was just saying that uh, the woman who may have threatened those people, uh, there was a lot of intoxicated people at that concert, and drunk people tend to throw around threats very easily. So it may have just been some drunk woman who was getting escorted out because she was threatening people who just decided to say, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to kill all of you. And it really was probably nothing. I I think that's likely the case, as I I I hope I articulated that before. But I do also think that it is quite strange for a woman to be yelling out right before this event. Uh, whoa. What What was that? No, I'm sorry. I'm walking outside. I'm next to West Virginia University, and there's a lot of partying going on right oh, now. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Sound <laughs> sorry a, about a, that, sir. So that, those, were, those were happy yells, you're telling me, in the background. Yes, yes they were, yes. Okay, um... Yeah, I mean, uh, look, I, I think that it probably was nothing. I just played it for you, though, because how, how bizarre is that, right? That, that there was this, uh, I think it is a coincidence, but, I mean, it's quite a coincidence. You're all going to die. I've been to a lot of events. No one's ever told me right as I walked in. You know, it's not like, hey, what are you looking at? And then I'm saying, you're all going to die tonight? I mean, that's a pretty specific uh, a- allegation or a, pre- a specific statement, not allegation. So, Matt, I, I, I think you're right, but I just I wanted to share it because it seemed like a very, very strange, uh, strange thing. So, anyway, thank you very much for calling in, man. Uh, Brian in North Carolina on WPTI. Hey, Buck. How are you doing tonight? I'm all right, Brian. I mean, under the circumstances, I'm all right. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Hey, I I want to dissent a little bit, and you're a you're an intelligence guy, right? Military guy, CIA. Not military, NIPD. but CIA. Yeah. Right. Um, and you've seen these weapons up close. You know the damage they can do. I've fired okay, a, most style. of the weapons that you would be able to rattle off on the top of your head. I've fired and trained with them. Yeah, go ahead. Right. So, what does Joe Blow in this country need with an AR-15? Oh, you know, Lord. this is an issue about gun control. Okay, well, you you know, and, and I, I think may, maybe this is maybe this is uh, unfortunately I only have a minute before they're going to go into a, a station break sure. here. But um, the the AR is just a semi-automatic rifle that is among the most po- most popular rifles that are owned in this country. I mean, you're talking about literally millions of them already in circulation. 
So mm-hmm. even if powerful. you even if you wanted to ban, I mean, they're, they're, it's just a rifle. It's a rifle with a folding stock that fires each time you depress the trigger. I mean, they already have autom- They already have a ban on automatic weapons, and these weren't, you know, from the, from origin or from manufacture automatic weapons. Um, but they were legally bought. No, I understand the problem. that. I understand that, but you have many millions of legally bought AR-15s in ex- millions of them in existence that are never used for any crime or any ill purpose whatsoever. So, what? Even if you what? what I mean, there's a lot of ways we can come to this argument and. And Brian, maybe I'll yeah. I'll address it. I appreciate you calling. I'm not trying to give it short shrift, but um, you couldn't ban them even if you wanted to. We'll be back. Team, I, I know I said I'd talk to you about Catalonia, and I will, but I, I think given that we just had a, a caller who, uh, in good faith, wanted to address the issue of, of gun control on air, I should spend a few minutes discussing how that will uh, play out now, how the debate over gun control will continue over the next uh, few days and likely for the next few weeks. Uh, but for, first, one other note, though, and I, I, I understand that I'm tossing a lot of different things in, into the mix here for our discussion today, but I, I almost couldn't believe that anybody would be so uh, callous and so stupid as what I saw from uh, this CBS executive who was the senior counsel for strategic transactions at CBS. Uh, Haley Geftman Gold was her name, uh, according to the rap here. And she posted on Facebook on Monday morning. So imagine this. I mean, my uh, my girlfriend came in and, and told me about this first thing in the morning. And I was, you know, I, I was just dumbstruck. Uh, I couldn't believe it. Especially because I'd just been in Vegas, so it felt particularly eerie and, and, and horrific to get the news. And I didn't know how bad it was. I just knew there was a big mass shooting. Not in a million years would it occur to me to think about anything other than, um, oh, my gosh, how many people have been hurt? Uh, do they have all the shooters in custody or dead? Um, have they, you know, w- what's going on here? Are my fellow Americans, are my fellow human beings Okay. Keep in mind, Vegas is also a, a place where you have people from all over the world traveling. It's a global destination, so no doubt there were um, there were uh, non-Americans who were also uh, on the scene, and perhaps even I don't. We haven't received a, a list. We don't know the names of, of the deceased or the wounded yet, but you know we'll find out more in the days ahead. But that's a normal human response to this when you hear about this. Oh my! Oh my God! That's so terrible. What happened here? This is this is not a normal human response from. Uh, Haley Geftman Gold, who wrote a post on Facebook, if they wouldn't do anything where children were murdered, I have no hope that repugs will ever do the right thing. I'm actually not even sympathetic because country music fans are often Republican gun toters. That's end quote. She was fired for this by CBS. CBS had no choice. I should note that those who were saying things recently about the NFL and First Amendment rights uh, no, you don't actually have a First Amendment right to keep your job and say anything you want or do anything you want, obviously. So if you want an instance, an exhibit of when someone crosses a line and is going to lose their job, here is one. Um, and it's not a First Amendment issue. She does not have a right to be a, a senior legal uh, counselor, a legal advisor for CBS. CBS is a big, 
big news network, by the way. Um, so she, this was not an unimportant job that this person had. Uh, but that she would take the position. I mean, th- that's the that's a sentiment so ugly and so um, disgraceful that I think a normal person would feel grotesque even thinking it for a moment to oneself. Never mind saying it out loud. Never mind posting it publicly. I mean, th- this should a normal person would feel shame even thinking this. Oh, yeah, you know, the mostly Republicans at a country music event, she writes, or whatever it was. Sympathetic because country music fans are often Republicans. That's what she wrote. Uh, this is, I, I, I hate to say it, she's not the only one who thinks this way. No way she's the only person out there with a, and I, I'm not talking about, you know, hateful internet trolls living in parents' basements or whatever. No, no, I mean, she's not the only person who has influence, money, authority, and prestige, who is so disdainful in the Trump era of Republicans that she hasn't thought to or that he or she has not thought at some point or did not think after this, yeah, well, you know, country music, so it's it's Republicans. There are others out there. There are others out there, which I think goes to how uh, deeply deranged much of our political discussion has has become. I mean, how, how detached from reality is uh, reality is. So keep that in mind that you had a very senior uh, person at CBS here or a, a powerful, well-paid executive at CBS. No sympathy, she wrote, no, or not even sympathetic, not even sympathetic. Got 500 people plus who were shot. I mean, they might live, but they're going to live with those wounds, physical and mental, for the rest of their lives. They're at a, at a concert. If you don't have sympathy for this, you don't have sympathy for anything. You're some kind of savage. I mean, it's just, I, I cannot imagine thinking the way that it, this is an American. This isn't, this isn't some crazy person who's rolling around, you know, in, in refuse in the street saying this. This is an executive at CBS. And then that, so this is now also where I want to get into the, the, the gun control debate and discussion. Um, just as you see with Trump, in the era of Trump, there have been a lot of journalists, quote unquote journalists, who have come out and said it's no longer OK to be unbiased and a nonpartisan as if they were in the first place. I know, you know, that's ridiculous on its face. But the journalists who have come out and said that they're dro- they're, they're going to drop the mask and they're going to just be who they are, say what they want to say, are all anti-Trump somehow. Right. The, the ones who were pretending to be journalists before Trump. And now have decided that they're just going to be open about taking positions. It's all anti-Trump. You have a similar phenomenon among journalists after mass shootings like this when it comes to gun control. You don't have objective journalists coming out saying, quote, and again, I have to keep, they're not really objective, but you know what I mean? People who pretend, who go through the pretense of objectivity as journalists. You don't have them come out and say, you know what? I used to just report the news, but now I want to tell you that I'm actually a big Second Amendment defender. To a person, as far as I know, and I pay pretty close attention to this, every journalist who decides that it's going to become advocacy and not reporting is anti-gun, anti-Second Amendment. That informs the way that we have to now look at the entire discussion and debate over the, over uh, gun rights that's going to happen now. right? The, the media, is, and this is critical, they conflate 
gun uh, gun owners and Second Amendment supporters with hillbillies, NASCAR dry, NASCAR attending, uh, country music liking, right wing people, and they are disdainful of those people, and therefore they think they are righteous journalists and others on the left in being hateful towards gun owners and treat them like they're lesser than because gun ownership and and Second Amendment support is in the minds of the left of the Democrat establishment a perfect stand-in for right wing. So all a lot of the support, oh, we need to get rid of we need to get rid of uh, guns or we need to regulate guns more heavily or whatever. A lot of that comes from a place on the left of just uh, disdain of of hatred for the right has nothing to do with the specifics of gun control, of the laws, of preventing the next shooting. That's really not what it's about. And and so I think you have to keep that in mind. Start from that premise as we see now how the debates will will roll out. Um, here's where I think this is going to they're going to come at this from a few angles. They're going to say no one needs this many guns to which the response will. I'll sort of do this almost like a like a one man Q&A. Um, but not with not questions, just one man statement and answer, I guess, an, an S and a statement and answer. Um, no one needs this many guns. The response to that is, OK, how many guns do you how many guns do you get to have? How many people who have more than one gun, how many people who have more than 10 guns are law abiding? I mean, legally have those guns, right? Are law abiding in all aspects of their lives. Ninety nine point nine 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 percent. So what's the number? What's the acceptable number of, of guns someone's allowed? And who makes that determination? The federal government? The state government? Uh, we have already seen the experiment play out in countless cities and states across the country. Regulate guns really, really heavily, make it almost possible to get a gun. In fact, violence is likely, based on all the statistics, to go up. Because the only people who won't have guns for the purposes of violence are law-abiding citizens. Chicago is a great case in point. Also, there are plenty of places where there are very uh, gun-friendly laws, plenty of states. Vermont is an excellent, where there's almost, Vermont's an excellent example. There's almost no gun crime whatsoever. Now, I know there's not a huge population in Vermont either, but there's almost no gun crime. And it's very easy, even though it's a blue state, very easy to get a firearm in Vermont, relatively speaking to other states. Certainly compared to New York, New York City has effectively banned firearm ownership. Still gun crime in the city, um, but New York City has effectively banned it. So, the, but the main points of of uh, contention here will be how many the guy had so many he had what thirty guns, forty guns, whatever it may be. But keep in mind that if if he had a, some proficiency, he only needed a few rifles to kill dozens of people. I mean, the the number of weapons isn't pro, you know prohibitive one way or the other in terms of him being able to conduct an attack like this, right? If he had five rifles, he would have still been able to, to harm a whole lot of people. That he had 10, I mean, I don't even know. It's not clear that he even fired all the rifles in the room. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I don't know. Maybe he didn't want to reload. He had them all loaded up. And you know, they said hundreds of rounds were fired off if he had 30-round magazines in each AR. Um, you know, I, I don't you know if he had 10, or how many, how many were in the room with him? Six, 16? 16, if you had 16 ARs, each with a, well, even with a, a, a 10 round, I mean, he would have gotten off a lot. But I mean, we, we don't know. I, right now, I'm surmising, I'm guessing based on the facts so far. 
but the number of guns is going to come under is going to come un, under uh, scrutiny here, and, and I don't think that's that doesn't change. And what are you going to do? Say, okay, you can only have three guns. We're going to send somebody to prison for their fourth gun. Okay, you can only have two guns. You're going to send someone to prison for their third. What are you going to do? People that are violating gun laws don't care about any of these laws, mind you. So criminals, it doesn't matter. Mass murderers don't care what the statutes say. And there are over 300 million guns in circulation, it is estimated, in this country right now. So banning guns entirely is is just a fantasy. It's nonsense. But it's the only intellectually consistent position because just limiting guns here or there, changing some cosmetic features, will in no way reduce crime, uh, prevent violence, because people that are everything from cartel assassins to deranged uh, mass shooting maniacs to, you know, jihadist lunatics, they don't care what the statutes say. And they can find their way to weapons one way or another. And I should note that in Europe, where it's effectively impossible to legally get guns, they've had plenty of gun violence in the last couple of years. You know, look what's going on in France, right? It's people getting AK-47s. Very, very illegal. I don't think the jihadists cared about that, obviously. So on the number of guns, I don't know where they think they take that. Then they'll get into the, well, let's ban. they're going to make this into an assault rifle ban because they can be modified. I should note that even if the modifications had not been made to his AR, and I'm realizing now I've gone into gun control at the expense of talking about the Catalonia referendum, apologies, much of what I want to talk to you about today, we'll get to tomorrow and the rest of the week in the show. I'll not forget any of it. Um, but even a semi-automatic AR-15, if he had a few of them or if he just had enough magazines, he'll be able to kill dozens uh, dozens of people. So it, it doesn't change that fact. So now you're saying this is the same thing we got into with uh, Ford Hood and you know his mag the, the size of the magazines that Nadal Hassan had and New York State has had a, a ten round magazine limit put in. I mean this this is all just this just creates agitation for legal, lawful, patriotic U.S. citizen gun owners. Doesn't do anything to stop the bad guys because they don't care what the laws are. There are so many guns that you're never going to get them all out of circulation anyway. There already are regulations in place. There already are bans on automatic uh, weapons. Um, But the number of guns, I think, is going to be a a big one. And then then an assault weapons ban. So that's the one-two that you can expect in the next few days. You shouldn't be able to get this many guns, they'll say, and you shouldn't be able to get a, quote, assault rifle, which is a a semi-automatic rifle, but assault rifle sounds scary, so this is the term that people use. Um... That also then means you've got millions already in circulation that you'd have to somehow get out of circulation. And that's just assault rifles. And assault rifles are used in very, very few crimes. And automatic weapons that are legally owned are used in practically no crimes. So what is the gun control measure that would have stopped this? The only one that makes sense from a uh, being consistent standpoint is a ban on gun ownership, which is a non-starter which wouldn't stop crime anyway. And even if you thought you could get a Congress to pass that, which you cannot, you could never get the 300 million guns in circulation out of circulation. And to do so, it only mean to make sure that the only people with guns are the bad guys. Good guys in civilian life would not have guns. And there's a whole Second Amendment that we have to deal with, too, there. Okay, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I didn't mean to go on at length about this. Uh, apologies for changing up the uh, the schedule here all right so uh team i, I promised you that we would get into the uh, referendum in, in catalonia which is a region of spain and i i cannot do that discussion justice today nor can i get into the uh, very tense standoff right now about kurdistan and northern iraq and its own 
independence referendum. Uh, these are important stories in the Middle East because there could be a I mean, a war could break out over Kurdistan and that would not be all, all that much of a shock, quite honestly. I'm not saying it would be a major drawn out war, but you could see military conflict between U.S. allies, NATO ally with Turkey, Iraq as an ally. I mean, this is uh, very um, uh, unsettling stuff. And then in the case of Spain, this could lead to a domino effect of other uh, regions of European states that want, notably in Spain, by the way, there's the Basque separatist region of Spain, uh, which I'll give you more of this background tomorrow so that if you can uh, join me tomorrow night or if you can listen to the podcast of the show for tomorrow night, you'll know more about referendums and secession movements in Europe and the Middle East and everything else that's or separatist movements uh, than then, uh, I think you will get from a whole lot of other places. So I, I will make a note of that for tomorrow. And I, I, I got a little uh, caught up in the uh, news events of today in terms of my analysis and um, that means that I, I fell off schedule a little bit with what I wanted to get to. But I want we will Puerto Rico. We will talk about Puerto Rico coming up here in just a few moments. Um, and also, uh, I will try to lighten things up a little bit in the third hour because it has been a a tense and difficult day for for all of us. Uh, and then I'll have some some closing thoughts just on you know what we can all do and and what, what this all uh, what this all means for us going forward. So, all right, team. Um, 844-900-BUCK and uh, 844-900-2825. I will be right back. Uh, stay with me. First, President Trump attacked her on Twitter, saying the mayor of San Juan, who was very complimentary only a few days ago, has now been told by the Democrats that you must be nasty to Trump. <laughs> oh, really, Donald? You <laughs> Was she nasty to you? How nasty. Are you shaking? You want to go smoke a Virginia Slim until your hand stops moving? <laughs> this isn't that complicated, man. It's hurricane relief. These people need help. You just did this for white people twice. Do the same thing. Go tell Melania to put on her flood heels, get some bottled water, some food, pack up some extra Atlanta Falcon Super Bowl t-shirts, and write them a check with our money, you cheap cracker. <laughs> That's what passes for comedy these days, my friends. Uh, that was one of the uh, two quote-unquote anchors, because it's not really news. They're doing a comedy bit for the weekend update over at Saturday Night Live. Um, that, that they would call or that this individual on a uh, national TV broadcast would call the president the B-word and also call him a cracker. Uh, is both disgraceful and uh, completely unsurprising. I've been telling you for a while that SNL has continued to just get less and less funny in recent years, and I think it's because it has been infected with the same intense politicization that has come to define uh, some professional sports leagues and uh, any number of other areas of entertainment that used to be refuges from this kind of thing. And now, sure enough, SNL, the NFL, and pretty much any uh, television broadcast that's a scripted show, from what I can see, has a, a political bent whenever possible. And sometimes, even if they have to jam the politics into an awkward storyline, 
so long as it serves the purposes of the progressive left, it's more important than actually being funny. And I do find it bothersome that comedians and professional athletes and other people who, when successful in their industries, are incredibly well paid, are very privileged individuals, and are incredibly well compensated, too, uh, that they have turned their backs on at least half of their audience by the numbers is really annoying and disappointing. But in that clip I played for you, which was just from Saturday Night Live over this most recent weekend, the most troubling aspect is not the incredibly disrespectful language used to uh, describe a president of the United States. They'll run away from that accusation if it's made, as it already has been, uh, by saying that they're comedians. Just as I've told you before, Countless comedians, whether Bill Maher, the uh, cast of Saturday Night Live, Kathy Griffin, whom, by the way, stands right beside Colin Kaepernick uh, in a recent tweet this week. And I'm sure he thinks that's really helpful to the cause. Uh, but they use comedy as sword and shield. They use it dishonestly. It's not meant to make us laugh so much as it's meant to ridicule political opponents and then when they run into the buzzsaw of their own ignorance, when they are exposed for not actually knowing anything or having any depth on the subject matter, that the comedian thought it was okay to ridicule the other side for mere moments before, then they're just a comedian, man. Honk, honk, clown nose on, clown nose off. But that's less troubling than the underlying message of that. And you can say, oh, Buck, Come on, it's a comedy show. It's a comedy show that's doing political commentary at a particularly tense moment in our political conversation right now, and it will be taken as serious by most of the roughly six or seven million people who watch that show. SNL is lucky because it is an institution that really has no competition, and so it is able to rest on its laurels just because if it's 1130 Eastern and you want to watch something, I guess you might as well turn on Saturday Night Live, although I certainly don't. But the much more problematic message here has to do with the racializing, the racial accusations about the FEMA response to Puerto Rico versus the other numerous hurricane disaster areas in recent weeks. And here's how this theory goes. And I saw it getting quite a bit of traction on social media over the weekend. The theory is that Trump, because he's a Republican and in the eyes of many progressive commentators, left-wing agitators and activists online, uh, they view him as at least symbolic of and in some ways sympathetic to white supremacy, uh, that therefore Trump is more willing to send aid and assistance at the federal level to Texas, to Houston, to Florida than he is to Puerto Rico. They're saying that this is a function of racism. And not only is this a scurrilous and defamatory 
accusation that's just meant it's just meant to smear it's meant to smear the administration it's meant to malign anyone who has supported Donald Trump up to this point and it just goes into that big bin of other allegations unfounded or in many cases wildly exaggerated uh, accusations of bias or racism uh, that have been leveled against Trump for a very long time now but in this case What makes it so egregious is not just the politicization of the very difficult and desperate circumstances of people on the island of Puerto Rico, who, yes, are Americans. I did a segment last week specifically on the history and status of U.S. territory. So, yes, Puerto Rico is an island of three million plus U.S. citizens. You know that and I know that as a New York City uh, born and raised local The Puerto Rican community is enormously important in New York City. It's it's close to a million people in my hometown. So I've had uh, Puerto Rican friends and classmates and neighbors uh, for as long as literally as long as I can remember, as long as I've been living here in New York, which is most of my adult life, almost all of my adult life. And Donald Trump is also a native New Yorker, born and raised here, in fact, from the outer boroughs. So the notion that he would be disconnected from the suffering of Puerto Rico because he doesn't have any uh, affinity for or connection to the Puerto Rican people, who, yes, are Americans, but are distinct in that they come from the island of Puerto Rico, that's just a a charge that is, is baseless. But when you look at the other part of this, the comparison aspect where they're trying to say, oh, look at Houston and look at Puerto Rico. Uh, First of all, different storms with different impacts. I think it's entirely unfair to compare them and just assume that one was just as bad as the other. I think we can all uh, come to the obvious conclusion that the infrastructure of Houston and the surrounding area is better than the infrastructure in Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is U.S. territory, but it is a uh, poor area of the United States per capita. You have, I believe, uh, a third to a half of the island on Medicaid. So almost half of the island is getting health care welfare. And it has uh, poverty has been a problem. The debt has been a problem for a long time. And the infrastructure that has been largely annihilated by this storm, wasn't in great shape to begin with. Now, that's no one's fault. That's just the reality of the situation right now. But when you look at the comparison of Houston and Puerto Rico as a means of attacking Trump for racism or favoritism or whatever it is, Houston is among the most diverse metropolitan areas of the entire country. Houston voted for Hillary Clinton. Not that this should matter at all to anybody, but it seems to be a part of the discussion we have to have now because the left tells so many lies. Houston is almost 40% Hispanic and Latino. So what is it then? It's It, it can't be racism or politics or politics driven by racism or vice versa because Houston is a Democrat stronghold with a very large Latin American population, or rather Latin American heritage, at least. So what is it? 
What is it that drives this notion in the minds of the left that Donald Trump is just so hateful towards Puerto Rico that he's doing nothing? What allows them to overlook the enormous uh, federal expenditures already, the thousands and thousands of federal personnel on the island doing everything in their power to try and get power back to the people of Puerto Rico and to assist them to get the water running, get clean water for people to drink and to get people into medical clinics and to get food on the shelves and, and, and medicine to those in need. It, it, it's all a front. To say that it's not enough just because it's a bad circumstance is intellectually sloppy. To say that there's ill will because it's imperfect or to do what many of the news outlets did last week, which was to isolate the notion of a good news story and then apply it to what happened overall in Puerto Rico, it's just slanderous. It's just lies. Of course, the administration, the people that work for FEMA, which is full of federal civil servants whose literal job in life is to help people in a situation like this. They're not driven by politics. They're not motivated or mobilized because of the voting patterns of those who live on Puerto Rico or their ethnic or ideological or any other kind of background. They're just there to help people. But Puerto Rico has been hit hard. It's a difficult circumstance. What you are seeing, both through serious news outlets and through the commentary channels that just serve as mockery propaganda outlets for the left. What you're seeing is the construct as it goes along, the real-time creation of the perception of Puerto Rico, Hurricane Maria, as, quote, Trump's Katrina. That's what all this was over the weekend. That's what all the mockery was. That's why you have people that feel so safe with enormous platforms uh, from which to speak, so safe, saying completely unfair, in some cases just objectively untrue things about the president and his response to Puerto Rico. Uh, you know, they can pick apart the optics as much as they want, but the federal response to each one of these hurricanes has been immediate, it has been robust, and all honest uh, observers at least in the early days before the politicization sets in, have been willing to give some credit to the administration, not for the administration being heroic, but for doing its job. When it comes to hurricanes, this administration has been doing what it can. It's been doing its job with disaster relief. And to say otherwise is just despicable political spin. Sponsor this half hour's Optima Tax Relief. If they want it, they'll take it. We're talking your paycheck, your bank accounts, your business, everything. The IRS doesn't mess around. Oh, and they recently added hundreds of new tax enforcers and even private collection agencies to help track folks down. If you owe back taxes or if you haven't filed in some time, call Optima Tax Relief before this army of new enforcers targets you. Optima Tax Relief are experts in the Fresh Start Initiative and this special IRS program could save you thousands, even tens of thousands, but you need to hurry. Call Optima to see if you qualify for this advantageous program. One call can stop the demand letters, stop the aggressive collection actions, and stop that army of IRS tax enforcers from targeting you. And Optima is A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau. So call for your free Fresh Start consultation and ask about their one-of-a-kind money-back guarantee. Call 800-501-0866, 800-501-0866, 800-501-0866. What role do you think the Republican Party should play 
when it comes to Roy Moore's campaign? Well, look, I don't run the party. I can tell you for me, I don't support that. I couldn't vote for that. I don't know what the heck I would have to do, but I don't live in that state. I mean, those, those claims are, I mean, they're ludicrous and they're divisive. And if that's where we're headed, then, well, first of all, we can't. Remember, I wrote that book, and America United or Divided, you know, two paths. I'm on the path to say we can fix it. If the party can't be fixed, Jake, then I'm not going to be able to support the party, period. That's the end of it. I mean, I'm... Yeah, if the party can't be fixed, Jake, you know, I'm sorry, it's gonna, I've had enough of it. You know, I'm sitting around here, it's John Kasich, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a reasonable, likable guy, you know, I mean, I'm going to... I'm a, John Kasich, I gotta tell you, he he has a great he has lifetime job security. That's the good news. Uh, as the Republican uh, quote re- Republican politician who can always be counted on to go on air and tell the Democrat resistance whatever they want to hear on whatever channel they want to hear it. So I'm glad that Kasich, you know, I worry about my children and you know the things and this, you know the stuff. You know, I mean, I'm trying to fix stuff, you know, I mean, Jake, I mean, you know, I wrote that book. <laughs> so what, what does the book have to, I mean, is he really, is he really telling us about how he's all about, you know, the, all about the good of the country over party, but he's like, yeah, I wrote, wrote that book, you know, a while ago, it was a book with the words, you know, in it, and it was written by, by me, John Kasich, you know, here in Ohio, you know, I'm doing this stuff, you know, I mean, <laughs> He is, he is, he is an original. I'll give him that. Uh, I remember those sitting down with him after a, a slew of politicians, you know, Rand Paul and Marco Rubio, and I was doing this straight up po- political interview. You know, not trying to get into it with them, not playing any gotcha. Just what do you think about this? What do you think about this? That's kind of how I approach guests on this show too. Uh, I don't bring them on the show to yell over them or browbeat them or force them to agree with me or humiliate them or any, you know, there's, there's other pseudo intellectual combat uh, arenas out there where people will, I mean, look at all the different panels they'll have at MSNBC and CNN, for example, where it's just straw men, right? It's just clay. They, they call it clay pigeon shooting within the business, just so you know. But anyway, back to Kasich, as I was saying, he, he has all of the charm and warmth of a 19th century Siberian prison guard. I mean, he really does. And look, I know that we've got a robust contingent of uh, Team Buck folks in the great state of Ohio. I love Ohio. I love Ohioans. I'm wondering how many of you agree with me on Kasich that he's just a pain. I I know that the state of Ohio has been doing really well. I would think that that has much more to do uh, with the people of the state and the businesses there and uh, than it is anything specifically attributable to uh, John Kasich. But I just think it's funny that here's this guy who his his whole reason for being on TV. This is this is a big part of the industry now, the anti-Trump Republican. This is now something that you can uh, count on. This is something that you can be expected uh, to see on TV or that, that can be expected to be seen on TV, which is they bring on Republicans who and they're just their job is to just bash Trump. How many Democrats during the Obama years, how many Democrats would get on TV at major networks to just trash President Obama? You know, I think this is part of a of a broader issue. I think this is 
something that's more than just, oh, Buck, you're talking about cable news and you're in the media. And No, no. I think that what you see here is that Democrats, as part of their political culture, have an understanding that power is what matters most. And whatever they have to do and say and pretend to get that power, they're willing to do. And they know that co-opting Republicans who are disaffected and disgruntled is effective to that purpose. And there are whole panels of them all, you know, that, that go on TV and all they do is trash Trump and all they do is trash the Republican Party. I just would note that it's really hard. Where is the equivalent on the other side? Where were, the, where were panel after panel of, quote, Democrat? And I'm talking about either elected politicians or, or pundits and writers and reporters with, with big platforms that were, that were on TV all the time to trash, to trash Obama. It just didn't exist because from a political culture standpoint, the left knows that it's about winning. Conservatives still like to be the hall monitor a lot of the time. Oh, you know, your your principles, you're not standing for all of your principles all the time. Principles are essential. They're important in a way that I try to reiterate on this show time and time again. But if your principles are just you yelling into an empty forest, it doesn't really matter, Right. You need to actually have some mechanism for power. Democrats know that, and that's why they love the Kasich maneuver. Let's bring a Republican on to just trash, to just trash Trump. All right, we'll be right back, team. Stay with me. Hey, team. Buck Sexton back with you here in the Freedom Hut. Given recent events, ESPN is making a wise decision here, I think. This from earlier today that ESPN is going to air the national anthem that will precede tonight's game, uh, which should be uh, coming on in just a matter of moments here, uh, which will precede uh, tonight's game between the Washington Redskins and the Kansas City Chiefs, as well as a moment of silence that will take place in Arrowhead Stadium. Uh, Now, there had been a few other times when ESPN had decided to air the anthem, to play the national anthem on TV. Uh, One had been on Monday Night Football, which fell on the 16th anniversary of the September 11th attack. And then last week, after the recent uh, series of protests and back and forth between players and with Trump's commentary, uh, so you had the Dallas Cowboys against the Arizona Cardinals with the Cowboys owner, Jerry Jones, taking a knee alongside players and coaches You know about all this. I I know you know about this, and we've been talking about it here on the show. But ESPN making this decision to air a moment of silence and the anthem tonight is, of course, the right decision. And we should give some credit where it is due in the sense that ESPN is making the right move here. And so I don't want to just reflexively criticize everything that ESPN does just because we know that many of their decisions are influenced, if not dictated, by left-wing political concerns. I also think, however, that this should be a clarifying moment for everyone about, not really for you and me, but for those who were confused about why there was so much outrage and so much backlash against the protesters during the protest playing up players who protested during the anthem. And that's because there is no question that the moment of silence tonight and the national anthem that will come right after it 
are meant to show respect to those and the families of those who lost their lives in this horrific attack in Las Vegas. And also, I think this should add a degree of clarity going forward whenever someone has confusion about why is it that there is so much uh, outrage when players decide to take a knee during the anthem. It's because the anthem is not about Trump. It's not about police officers, good or bad. It's not about oppression or whatever someone feels like making it about that day. The anthem is about respect for this country, those who have fought and died so that we may have this country. And that doesn't change based on who the president is. It doesn't change based on the political circumstances of the moment. It does not change because players or owners or the media or all of the above believe very strongly that we are an imperfect country and that we have to come to grips with some uh, legacy and continuation of systematic racism and oppression of minorities. That's not what the anthem is about. So when you protest the anthem, you are not able to insert whatever it is that you want in that moment. You cannot leverage the, atten the attention and respect given the anthem for personal political purposes without offending those who understand what the anthem is really about. ESPN is making the right decision here. I would like to think that all of the players who within moments will be faced with the choice to either show respect or not, I, I believe they all will. Uh, I don't know, but I believe that they will understand, and they certainly should understand, that given what this country has been through, uh, given the psychological damage that all of us as Americans and as human beings feel in the aftermath of such a horrific mass shooting, this is a time for unity. This is a time for prayer. This is a time to come together. And I saw some, uh, some sentiments expressed today on social media that I, I know under other circumstances could be seen as as trite or as quaint, but given what has happened in the last 24 hours, we need uh, some sense of shared kindness. We need some reminders of the obligations we have to be, to be good to one another, to be helpful to one another. Uh, you know, I had to earlier today make my way to the funeral of a very dear friend of mine and his uh, his father passed away and my friend's father uh, died unexpectedly he's one of my oldest friends really in the whole world he might actually be my oldest friend outside of my immediate family and his mom and dad were always unfailingly uh, kind to me and, and I remember them both very fondly. The mother is still thankfully with us and doing very well, but the father passed away suddenly. Um, I remember uh, Mr. B, I'll call him, uh, always saying to uh, his son, who's a, still a dear friend of mine to this day, that, uh, you know, Buck's, Buck's a gentleman. Buck's a good man. Buck's a gentleman. And that was a little thing, but when I was 10, 12, 14 years old, I really appreciated that. I really took pride in that Mr. B would uh, tell people, tell his son that I was such a gentleman, you know, and it really was encouraging and it was kind. And as I had to try to give some small measure of support and comfort to 
my uh, friend whose father died of, of natural causes, but suddenly it was very sad, uh, just also hammered home for me today, really hit home that uh, however much you've uh, hugged your family members this week, however much you've told your wife, your husband, your kids, um, or wh- whomever, uh, how much you love them, it's never too much. I think that's a, a reminder that we can all have today. Uh, wherever your family is, wherever they are, uh, take the opportunity to reach out and just just let them know. You, there's, there's never going to be a moment in your life where you think to yourself, I, I wish I hadn't expressed my, uh, my love and, and shown that moment of kindness or just reached out, you know, hey, mom, you know, you know, hey, son, hey, whatever the case may be. Hey, you know, second cousin Phil, whoever it is, you know, your, your neighbor down the street, whoever you care about matters to you. I, I think if we can take something out of the terror that has occurred in the last 24 hours, it's that uh, a reminder to all of us that those who are precious to us um, should be told that and that our lives are finite and that all we really leave is a legacy of how we treated each other while we had the choice about how to, how to act, how to be, how to love. Um, and that's just something that, you know, as I processed today and had to, had to make my way to a uh, friend's father's funeral and saw the pain in that family, I can't imagine right now what it is like for those who lost loved ones in uh, Las Vegas and are still, in many cases, uh, waiting anxiously to find out how their loved ones, if they are in the hospital, if they are fighting, uh, fighting for their lives or trying to recover from, from wounds. I can't imagine what that feels like. So uh, I know it's, it's painful to think about for all of us. It's painful. And this is a loss for all of us as Americans and as human beings. Um, but I would take from it that call your, call your loved ones, reach out to them today, and just let them know. Just let them know. Let them know you love them. You know, and if you see them, if you're lucky enough, give them a hug. And just be kind to somebody today. Show someone, even a stranger, doesn't matter, anyone. Random act of kindness. All right, we'll be back. All right, welcome back, team. I uh, wanted to come into the show this week. I wanted to come into the Freedom Hut and talk to you about my weekend in Vegas and for uh, very obvious reasons that doesn't uh, feel like something that we can discuss right now. And even though I I left uh, Vegas before this uh, terrible situation unfolded, I um, I just know that we, we have our minds somewhere else right now, and and everything that happened uh, before this is is irrelevant. Uh, I I have to say that it feels uh, eerie having just been within uh, eye, eyesight of the Mandalay Bay Resort every day that I would go out and do my radio show. I would drive out to the outskirts or head out to the outskirts of Las Vegas. And then I would uh, I would come back, and sure enough, the one 
uh, landmark that I knew I was going in the right direction I was, was the Mandalay Bay. It's really one of the most visible, uh, if not the most visible, actual physical manifestations of the Las Vegas Strip. So maybe I will uh, tell you a bit about um, the weekend and some of the discussions and some of it wasn't really the weekend. It was the few days last week that I was in Las Vegas that preceded this event. Uh, I, I was thinking about how we'd have a discussion here on the show about how Vegas is a for for all of the uh, criticisms that people have of it as as a place that it's a monument to capitalism and to. Uh, human endeavor, and, and it's it is an incredible place, and I am just so sad that this is now for who knows how many days, weeks, or months going to be the first thing that comes to mind for a lot of people when they think of Las Vegas, and certainly for those who were affected by this uh, terrible tragedy, by this uh, evil mass murder on the Strip. This will be something that stays with them for. The rest of their lives. So, I, with your permission, um, I would just say that we would take a uh, take a pause here on everything that I could talk to you about for my time because there was a conference and I met with all these different uh, different guests and was interviewing people. There's some really fascinating discussions. It's just it's not um, it's not the time to have because because it happened in Vegas because it happened right before. Uh, this terrible event, I will hold off and maybe we'll have some future. And some of the interviews uh, I did were taped, so I, I might get the chance to share snippets of them uh, with you later on. Uh, but for right now, I just there's nothing I can think of about Vegas that isn't uh, that isn't this event. And, and I'm sure you all feel exactly the same way uh, with that. I, I would also ask um, if I if you don't mind. If I could just uh, close the show on a on a happier note, I know I've talked to you about uh, we've talked a lot about the events in uh, Las Vegas. I've been speaking to you about also my my friend and uh, the loss of uh, his father and and the funeral. So it, it has been a somber show to be sure. And I like to I, I, we've had a few moments of levity just because we we have to right. I, I can't continue on for three hours and just take us all into the most uh, dark and depressing places imaginable, which uh, an incident like what's happened in Las Vegas certainly does. So I am asking uh, for your uh, okay. I'm asking for your permission, in a sense, to now just take you to New York City uh, early yesterday uh, before all of this happened. So I can share with you a, a happier moment, which is just that uh, my uh, older brother um, and uh, his girlfriend adopted a dog. And I, I went over to see it. His name is Percy, and he is an adorable little fellow. He is a golden Pomeranian uh, with a pretty short haircut. So you think of Pomeranians as being uh, poofy and... Um, you see this guy and you're like, wow, he's, he almost looks like a little fox. He was found years ago in a dumpster, from what I am told, in an alley in the Austin, Texas area. Uh, he was found by a shelter worker, uh, somebody who worked in a dog shelter, 
and they went about immediately finding a forever home uh, for this adorable little fellow. And they found a home for him for a while, and then uh, the, the one that, initially also his his coat was so long that it was dragging in the it was dragging in the mud and in puddles, and he was filthy, and I'm sure he had worms, which is pretty standard for abandoned dogs. Yeah, he was in a dumpster scrounging for food, this little guy. And they got him to a, a home, and then there was a move happening within the home, and they needed to find another forever home for Percy. And uh, now he has been adopted um, by my brother and his, and his girlfriend, and they live close by in New York City. So uh, they will be, well, I will be a frequent visitor to go see uh, little Percy. And that was one part of the of the weekend that I wanted to share with you. It was just a night. It was nice. And, you know, on a day like today, it's important to allow yourself to remember that which is good and happy and, and brings you joy. Otherwise, you'll get so down in all this stuff. So little Percy is... Uh, is doing great, and uh, I haven't. And now the pressure, as you can imagine, on me to uh, move forward and to adopt a dog too has been up just a little bit. I I am working on it. I never heard back from the shelter here in New York City that I had hoped to foster. So I'm going to reach out to them again this week, and I'm also going to reach out to a couple of other shelters where I can at least foster dogs. So fostering is when you take them for a period of time, and uh, then they find the forever home. But you're there to make sure the dog is yeah, has companionship and is well-fed and, and groomed and is getting plenty of walks, and it's a great uh, bridge between having your own dog and or you know, thinking about getting a dog and having your own dog. Uh, I have a couple of friends here in New York who have just adopted in the last few months as well, and they certainly have their, they certainly have their hands full. Uh, but I think that... Uh, puppies for a lot of us, I, I'm, if I'm guessing, I, I would think that 99% of those of you listening to this show like to completely love dogs um, and view them as a, a joy, one of the great joys uh, in, in life, you know, one of the things that can always bring a smile to your face. And the 1% are uh, probably just cat people who also like dogs, but not quite as, not quite as enthusiastic about them as the other 99 uh, but dogs for me are are what is a very necessary escape and provide a uh, really worthwhile sense of you know there's still there's still goodness there's still joy there's still and for a lot of you're saying fuck you need to have a kid and you know that will be an even m- much bigger version and and I know and and I've got that on the mind too um, but on on uh, in times like these finding your own little psychological respite from what seems just so overwhelmingly uh, vile and and evil and wrong. Um, if it's dogs, if it's cooking, if it's just spending time with, with friends, with family, uh, watching a show that inspires you, that makes you feel better, you got to allow yourself to do that. I, I'm in this business now for years. I've gone from the CIA to media, and, and media in particular covering terrorism and national security issues so I, I speak I, I speak of what I know when I tell you that even in the midst of a crisis or even in the midst of terrible things happening around you, take care of yourself. Uh, give yourself a moment with your dog, with your cat, with your family, with your favorite show, with whatever it is that you need to do. Um, everyone listening to the show, you know, take care of yourself, take care of your loved ones today, and hold them a little a little closer. Um, and with that, until tomorrow, shield tie.